Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going this week? It's going well. We are in the same room recording this. Uh, Keith's sitting here at the table with us. And we are at your house here in Wake Forest. It's it's kind of weird being in the same place recording. It is. We don't do this very often. No, it's just what, usually whenever you're in Nashville or something, or we're at SBC. Right. That's pretty much it. But so, welcome to Wake Forest. Yeah. Why, why are you here? I am here. Uh, we talked about it a little bit, I think, last week on the podcast, but I'm here to plan a conference, uh, one-day kind of event for Dr. Rayner in the spring of 2017. So flew up today. I've got meetings tomorrow uh, with the good folks at the North Carolina Baptists and up in uh, Winston-Salem at Calvary Baptist Church. And Art Rayner, your boss over at uh, Southeastern, he's coming up with us as well. So we're going to put on this event and meeting with them, just going over some logistics and some issues to deal with that. So uh, happy to be in RDU tonight. Very nice. All right, well, let's jump into it. we got a packed show this week. We have an interview this week with Keith Whitfield, uh, your husband and vice president over at Southeastern, uh, to talk about the MDiv in Southern Baptist life. And there was a story in Baptist Press a week or two ago about that. Uh, so we're going to talk to him about the MDiv and some of the changes we're seeing at the Southern Baptist seminaries. But first, we want to thank our sponsor this week. In Design to Lead, authors Eric Geiger and Kevin Peck explain how churches that consistently produce leaders have a strong conviction to develop leaders, a healthy culture for leadership development, and helpful constructs to systematically and intentionally build leaders. All three are essential for leaders to be formed through the ministry of a local church. To pick up your copy and get your free resources related to the book, visit designedtolead.com. And Amy, I have a confession to make. Okay, let's hear it. I forgot to bring you your copy uh, that I have in my office I in Nashville. I am so eager to read this book, and I to, keep not buying it. I'll send it to you next week. I'll mail it to you. I'm sorry. And I actually thought earlier this week, I thought, I'm going to get it. I'll get it on Thursday. Yes, and I forgot it. Okay. I rushed out of the office today. I'm sorry. And that's not an excuse. I, I just totally goofed on this one. So that's my fault, Amy. But, but you'll also we'll send also, one to a listener. Yes, yeah, so we'll send one to a listener. Last week's winner was Jim Bob Brown in Burleson, Texas. He picked up his free copy of Design to Lead. He was the first one to tweet us about the book. So we're going to give another one away this week. First person to tweet SBC this week. Uh, at SBC This Week on Twitter, we'll get a copy of the book as well. So I'll send them a copy, and I'll send you your copy that I should have brought with me. And um, I'm sorry, Amy. That's okay. We'll let it pass this time. But this time. I'm expecting to get it soon. Okay. All right. Well, I'll send it back as soon as I get back in Nashville and back in the office on Monday. All right. Well, we got some big news. Gateway Seminary, not Golden Gate, but Gateway Seminary had their inaugural convocation for the newly named seminary located in Ontario, California. Yeah, I saw this. This is exciting. So remember, we had talked about how there were some students that were really excited to be a part of sort of the last class and to graduate with Golden Gate on their degrees. And then we also heard about people who even maybe deferred their beginnings because they wanted to be part of the first group at Gateway. And here we are. So we were uh, there this summer when everything shifted, The their booth at the SBC, all of the signage changed everything when the vote happened, the second one to change from Golden Gate to Gateway. Well, this is the moment they've officially kicked it off. And it's not just convocation that they had. And on August the 29th, they have a big celebration planned uh, a gala featuring Keith and Kristen Getty and food trucks. Are you sure you didn't plan the gala? 
that's coming up in October? Well, you know, I, I do love food trucks. You do love a so. good food truck, and yes. you love the Gettys. Uh, but they are going to uh, have a big celebration October 5th through 8th. Uh, there's a link in the Baptist Press article for that. So congratulations to Dr. Jeff Orge on the first day of classes at Gateway Theological Seminary. And at another seminary this week, a 500-year-old Torah scroll was gifted to Dr. Albert Moeller and the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. That's pretty exciting. So it's a complete scroll of the Torah. We've got the Baptist Press article in the show notes with a picture there. It goes back to the 16th or 17th century. Uh, so it's got the first five books of the Old Testament. It was a gift from Ken and Barbara Larson. Yes, it's pretty big. I, I was shocked at how big this thing is. So pretty cool. You were telling me offline before we started about some of the other artifacts at Southern I didn't know existed. I mean, you, yes, there's a mummy that a mummy? I don't know where this is. We were just talking about it. it there used to be an archaeology museum in a building there uh, in the Honeycutt Center. Was uh, it, it? There's an, an office there now. I think they moved it over to the library. I'm not sure, but that was always kind of a, a topic of conversation. The, the mummy actually, had a name though, right? Sherry. Sherry. I actually knew of people, seminary students, that would like go on a date. They'd go. Like if they had a, you know, their fiance came up or whatever, they'd go show them the mummy. Well, they know how to party in Louisville. It's kind of exciting to have hey, a mummy on your campus. Hey, let me go show you a, a dead person from kind centuries of, ago. It's very interesting. Okay. So this picture um, in the Baptist Press article, it reminds me of that scene in National Treasure when they're looking at the codes yes. on the back of the Declaration of Independence. They've got the hair dryer. Uh-huh. And then the dad comes in and realizes that they have the real Declaration of Independence. Because you just see their hands. They're being so careful. I'd be scared to death to touch this thing. Yeah. And it would rip. And, and the, oh, that would be awful. Yes. Especially with the people that have just gifted it to you right there in front of you. Right. But this is exciting. This I mean, is very it's, cool. It, it's really neat. And uh, when Dr. Muller accepted it, he said, the, the quotes in the story, it's not just the gift of a text, but the gift of a testimony uh, because it was made in Italy, southern Italy, during a time um, of intense Jewish persecution. And so the survival of it, uh, really demonstrated the importance of Scripture in the community. So uh, not just a text or an artifact, but something that really uh, demonstrates the importance. Yeah, and it shows the, the scroll. It says it was opened to Exodus. It is a 106-foot scroll. That, that is, I just can't imagine how, I mean, that's really long, obviously. It's 106 yeah. feet. But how heavy, how fragile that must be. So... Uh, very, very cool stuff. Well, it's interesting. And this couple, it's a, it's amazing. It says they've purchased 50 different Torah scrolls with the intention of giving many of them to seminaries. So Louisville, uh, Southern in Louisville is the 27th seminary to receive a scroll from this family. So what a great uh, ministry for these folks. Yeah, very cool. All right, moving on. It's the first of the month, and you know what that means. Cooperative program. Yep. You know where we are this month? 4.8. 8% above projection. That's fantastic. We are way above projection and 2.8% above contributions last year. Uh, this time last year, I looked it up. We were 1.13% over the projections last year. Now we're 4.8% over projections and uh, doing really, really well with the cooperative program giving this year. Uh, we're going to finish out the year strong. This represents money that came in through the close of business on the last day of August. So there's basically one more month. This is 11 months 
and uh, I, I'm feeling pretty good about finishing above budget again uh, for the cooperative program. You know, as long as we've been doing this podcast, cooperative program funds have always been up at the end of the year. Yes. I'm just throwing that out there. Just was one other time. Yeah. We're right. two for two. Okay. Yeah. So there I feel go. pretty good about that. So I, I think it's the podcast. Correlation, causation. Yeah. Just we'll get to the research later. Don't, don't, don't try to bust my bubble. All right. All right. Moving on. Also, uh, some more news from across the street uh, from Lifeway over at the executive building. Sean Hendricks has been named the editor of Baptist Press. Yeah. And this was effective September 1. So just um, last week really kicked in. And he had been named managing editor and director of operations. So he will continue uh, to do a lot of those same duties. Uh, And now Art Tolston was named senior editor in 2015. So now Sean Hendricks uh, will be, is is officially the editor of Baptist Press. Yeah, and I'm hoping to get an interview with him soon and just talk to him about maybe what he has planned for Baptist Press in the future. Yeah. And just talk to him about different things. They were kind enough to do a story about the podcast to... Only, only right for us to do uh, an interview with him and return the favor. Absolutely, and Sean is great uh, because not only you know do they write stories, but they also work with the communications offices of all the entities. So we end up working with uh, Sean a, a fair amount when we have releases or if they have stories that they're wanting to do. And he is just an incredible person to work with. Uh, I really uh, appreciate him. Just always very kind and professional. And uh, so this is really exciting news for him. All right, moving on. We had a, a death this week that was uh, felt around the conservative evangelical uh, world, especially in the world of politics. Phyllis Schlafly uh, died at 92 on September the 5th. Yeah, um, so this is something that for a lot of people, it, it may not make a huge connection simply because with her age, she hadn't been heard from... Yeah, she was before, quote, our time for right. a lot of uh, leaders today because she was really influential in the 70s and early 80s right. when a lot of us were either just being born, raising my hand, or <laughs> um, you know, too young to really be involved in politics. Yeah, uh, but the, the major thing that she did was right at a time when the feminist movement was really uh, stepping up and gaining steam, she was one who kind of stepped out as a woman and said, hang on a second, there are some things here that are of great concern. Uh, She was really known for her um, opposition to the Equal Rights Amendment uh, and really made a big difference in, you know, the defeat of that. So she may had, she had a tremendous impact, particularly with uh, the religious right. Another big story that we've seen over the past few weeks is the flooding in Louisiana. Lifeway announced this week that they will be providing assistance to flood ravaged churches and uh, pastors in Louisiana. And uh, basically we're providing uh, replacement resources for churches down there. So something I know we've been working on trying to get all the details together on that world changers is partnering with disaster relief of the Southern Baptist convention uh, down in Louisiana to help with uh, some of the disaster relief efforts that are going on. And uh, they're having teams sent out for three straight weekends this month. And uh, you can find out more about that at lifeway.com slash world changers. And for information on the disaster relief efforts from Lifeway. You can email disasterassistance at lifeway.com. They'll be in touch with all the pastors who email that with requests for resource replacements uh, for pastors and churches. And also from Lifeway this week, a new study 
And Amy, we, we t- talked about a lot of this in the podcast we did around the, the Democrat and, national, and Republican national conventions and the platforms. So we talked about this. Uh, one of the big points of the Republican platform was the repealing of the Johnson Amendment. But a study released this week from Life Air Research among Americans, 79% disagree that churches should be endorsing political candidates during a church service. Yeah, that, that's a, a pretty big deal. That's 8 in 10 who say it is inappropriate. Um, three quarters say that churches should steer clear of endorsements. Um, but it does say fewer than half want churches to be punished if they do endorse candidates. So, um, you know, that's, uh, that's important. That's important to remember that they don't necessarily believe churches should be punished for it, but they don't think it's appropriate. So what's interesting is the way that this was really presented as part of the platform um, and that the candidate really presented was this is the thing that churches want is to have this freedom. Yeah, you need your freedom of speech. You're you being denied your, your freedom of speech. Right. When what we know, is the, the Johnson Amendment was about a specific type of speech, and um, it's, you know, when you hear that, you think, well, what is the what is the feeling of people? And what this states is that among Americans, um, among Americans, most people say not really or we don't want to use our freedom of speech in in that way. That's not something that we think is appropriate. Uh, so just a very interesting sort of difference there that we see statistically um, from the data and then this, the presentation. So very interesting. And another story this week showed a little bit of a difference as well. And this was something we pointed out when we tried to look through the platform. And again, we're never going to line up completely, uh, with everything in every platform. Uh, but we look to see how certain things we had declared as important lined up with the different platforms. And we had done a a resolution at the Southern Baptist Convention on refugees. And so we looked at that to see how it matched up. And it it really wasn't quite the same, uh, just the way that that things were addressed or not addressed. Um, So there's a story in the New York Times this week, and the headline is very interesting. It says, Evangelicals ignore GOP by embracing Syrian refugees. Uh, But what it's about is it's about Johnson Ferry Baptist Church and Pastor Bryant Wright. Former SBC president. Yes, former SBC president. And what this Southern Baptist Church is doing to reach the refugees in their community. Um, Now, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that there aren't other things that they're going to appreciate in the platform, but what it does show is that the proclamation that we made as Southern Baptist, um, Johnson Ferry is living that out. And it's a very interesting article. It does certainly deal with the issues of politics and, and faith and how we, uh, how we handle some of those conflicts. But if you just start reading through the story about what Johnson Ferry is doing, um, how they're connecting with these people in their community, how uh, Bryant Wright is leading them. It's it's a great picture of uh, just kingdom work and reaching the nations from their backyard. Uh, so a very, very interesting article and made the, you know, it was the New York Times. So making the rounds. Yes, it is very encouraging to see that. Great to see Bryant Wright and Johnson Ferry getting that kind of publicity in the New York Times uh, for something of such importance as 
uh, refugee care. We, we've seen com- conferences about that over the past year or so. We, we even had a, a bit of a – it was a topic of a, the conference a couple weeks ago here in Nashville, uh, not the URLC one, but the, the missions conference that was put on by the Tennessee Baptist, North Carolina Baptist, and others. Uh, so we, we continue to see that in the SBC. Now, one more thing before we get to our interview with Keith Whitfield, Pastors Conference. I had a bit of a change this year in the Pastors Conference. Uh, Dave Miller, a pastor up in Iowa and uh, the guy that runs SBCVoices.com, he won the Pastors Conference presidency this past year and uh, announced this week that they are accepting nominations for those to preach for their pastor's conference event in phoenix of next year so heard some behind the scenes planning for that they they have a big sponsor secured for that as well the caskey center they have been named a strategic partner for the pastor's conference basically the uh, the kind of a title sponsorship of that uh, the caskey center for church excellence is down at new orleans baptist theological center they're going to partner with them to highlight the role of the smaller membership church in southern baptist life that was kind of the the platform that dave ran on uh, for the pastor's conference and we knew that that they laid that out that it was going to focus on um, smaller churches and that really plays out in the nominees they they want the nominees to be pastors of southern baptist churches uh, with about 500 or less in average attendance um, and who have not preached at the annual meeting in the past five years. Now, he did say on his blog, these are guidelines, not rules, but what they want is to expose preachers from Southern Baptist churches all over the place, um, and they've opened that up. They want to find 12 men uh, to come and do this, and nominations can be made through September 30th. Yeah, and it starts on September the 12th. You can visit the website at sbcpc2017. That's sbcpc2017.com. You can go over there and nominate uh, pastors. And, and something I didn't realize, 89% of the churches in the Southern Baptist Convention average around 250 or less in worship each week. So uh, they are by far representing the quote-unquote everyman uh, pastor in the SBC with this event. So we wish them all the best. And for more information, again, sbcpc2017.com. And that's going to bring us to our interview this week with the one and only Keith Whitfield, Vice President for Academic Administration here at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Amy, any other introductions for him? Um, is it okay for me to say that in our entire podcast history, this is going to be my favorite guest. I'll give you that. Well, Keith, welcome to the podcast. I know you you hear one side of the coin, I guess, every week uh, whenever Amy's recording this. So it's good to have you on the podcast, man. It's good to be on the podcast. I do hear one side. I kind of feel like um, I'm missing out on something else on the other side. You're not missing out on much. Trust me. You're hearing the smart side. I hear laughs. I don't know what the laughs are responding. Those are all the mistakes that I have to edit out. You serve as the vice president for academic administration here at Southeastern, uh, handle a lot of the accreditation for the university as well as academic planning. So the MDiv, we've talked about that, the changes that have gone on in the MDiv uh, across many of our Southern Baptist institutions, not just Southeastern. Uh, we, we hear the 81-hour MDiv from Midwestern. Uh, I think Southwestern even increased their MDiv hours. So there's been changes in the MDiv. Talk to us about you know, is the MDiv, I guess, still relevant? I, I would argue yes. I think a lot of us would argue yes. I would hope that you and the uh, the seminary professors you, you pal around with would argue yes. But talk about its relevance in Southern Baptist life, its relevance to pastors, 
and, and just some of the changes we're seeing. Yeah, so what you'll be seeing in Southern Baptist life is no different in a lot of ways what we've seen outside of Southern Baptist life. This has been a conversation for uh, for a couple of years now. What's going to happen with theological education at the center of theological education has been this degree, the, the Master of Divinity degree. Uh, so it's been part of the conversation, and uh, folks have begun to think about what does it look like for this degree to survive and what what uh, you know what we need to do to make it relevant, if you will, going forward. And the Southern Baptist schools, and just in the last couple of years, it seems like we've all taken the hard task of revising this degree, uh, and it's come out looking a little different at different institutions. Uh, and well, I think we are in one accord to say it's an important degree, and it's worth finding ways to keep it relevant and keep it vibrant and to help meet the needs of the church today. And the reason we think that is because it is the most comprehensive theological degree, really because of its length and because of all the things it it uh, touches on um, and its scope. Uh, it's the most comprehensive theological degree for preparation for ministry. Obviously, I'm not a pastor. I have two master's degrees, one in sports administration, one in Christian studies. Uh, both of those combined fewer hours than an MDiv, uh, probably a lot less work. I, I'll just go ahead and say it. Um, I, I didn't do near the academic course load for a, an MDiv. And whenever we start talking about the, the length of the degree and the 81 hours versus 95 or whatever it may be, depending on the school that you're at, uh, you know, you have the Masters of Arts. I see, you know, a lot of people are kind of well, what about this? It gets me back into the church quicker. It's, you know, depending on where you go, it can get anywhere from 36 to 48 to maybe even 54 or 60 hours, uh, much shorter than an MDiv, uh, but, you know, not as comprehensive as you mentioned. Is it fair to pit those two against one another? Well, people are going to, and we're going to see what student, what decisions the students make. And I think what you've seen, even in the most recent VP article among um Really, a lot of our uh, Southern Baptist Seminary presidents were, were quoted in there, and they were looking at the numbers of what's going on at the seminaries. Uh, and what you see by these presidents is really their own endorsement of this degree. And so we'll see what students do, uh, certainly from the institutions and from the presidents of our, our seminaries have said, this is still a very vibrant and important degree. So uh, from the market side, yes, it's fair to, point, to pit them against each other. But when it comes to an, a comprehensive training for pastors, I don't think that's fair. I think they, they're really after different things. This MA is not, um, it, it doesn't pretend to be as comprehensive. It's really focused to train people for very specific uh, vocational ministry opportunities. And some of the vocational or the MA degrees are really preparation for research and specializations. Uh, the MDiv prepares someone for being able to exegete scripture, to rightly interpret scripture, gives them the biblical languages. Uh, overview of New Testament, Old Testament. I mean, once you do that, once you do Hebrew and Greek and New Testament and Old Testament, you've not done anything else. You've not done theology. You've not done history. You've not done any practical courses. You've not done uh, philosophy or ethics or any of the rest. Or church administration. I mean, you even got into the like the, the nuts and bolts of being in the you know in the church environment. Right. So I mean. Um, there's a lot to cover to prepare someone to rightly handle the scriptures and to be able to lead God's people to engage their community. Yeah, and I wouldn't expect you to talk about other seminaries and what they're seeing from their students uh, because, you know, obviously you're, you're not involved in that. But at Southeastern, we can just focus on that. You've seen a, a massive uptick in recent years of MDiv students. I mean, 
these degrees, it is comprehensive. It is longer than an MA, but you guys are not seeing people trade the MDiv for an MA. You're seeing a, a robust growth even in MDiv students. We still have strong growth in MDiv students. We do see growth in our MAs. Uh, what we're not seeing, though, is we're not seeing people, um, even on our campus, our current students, when we give them new MA options, we're not seeing them leave the MDiv program going to the MA. Um, and we're not seeing that the, uh, the MDiv slowing down that, you know, that much, certainly not, not going backwards. Uh, we are seeing, though, growth in the MAs, and I think there's explainable reasons for that. Uh, one of the reasons, I think, is because uh, our Baptist colleges and universities are doing a better job uh, and a, well, I should just say, maybe not better, a great job at preparing uh, their undergrad for, for ministry. Um, and some of those degrees are as robust as an MDiv. Maybe they're starting at a much more introductory level, but these students are coming in with a really strong background, and they're making different decisions when they come to the seminary than someone like myself who did a business degree at a state university. Uh, when I went to seminary, I was starting fresh. How much has accessibility factored into the the robust growth you guys have seen? And I, I know Southern's seen a big growth. I just got an email today from Dr. Jason Allen at Midwestern. Their enrollment has doubled in four years. How much has accessibility played into the growth you guys have seen in your MDiv program, uh, as well as the other programs? Well, I mean, it certainly has played a tremendous role in it. What it's, it's given people options that they didn't have before. You know, what we don't know is we don't know what they would have chosen to do had they not had the options for online. What we do know is that with more accessible options and different ways of delivering the theological education, we know what they're choosing. And what we have is we have students still choosing to move to campus, and we have students choosing to do online um, uh, degrees. What we, like I said, I don't know that we can attribute the growth to that because we don't know what they would have done without yeah. that option. Mm -hmm. uh, but we do see continued growth in that delivery method. Um, and I think, um, I think in some ways, I think the online um, maybe is a bit slightly more favorable to the MAs than the MDiv. And the reason for that is because people are doing online education most of the time because they have very full lives that they can't leave yeah. to come to campus. So uh, they are looking at MA options. There are some constraints, though, with the MA options as it relates to online. It gets into accreditation constraints. But when we have the opportunity to deliver an MA in that kind of way, I think that's pretty pretty attractive for uh, students that are living away from campus. Yeah, and, and you're able also now to, to attract students from across the country, across the world even. Across the world, yes. And, and, and that may have never been able to attend a Southeastern or you know even our other institutions. I mean, you guys work across the lines with others. And one way you're working with other Southern Baptist institutions is the, uh, the Southern Baptist Professors Fellowship, something that I think you were instrumental in starting uh, to connect Southern Baptist seminary faculties with one another. What's been the goal of that? How's that gone so far? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. That's been fun to kind of get started. The goal was to get us all in the same room and get to know each other across campuses and realize we're, st we're all involved in the same mission. Uh, and when we, when we gathered to a place like ETS, the Evangelical Theological Society, uh, we, we, sometimes we go there and we think of ourselves as evangelicals. And I just wanted to remind uh, us that we go there as Baptists, representing Baptist institutions. And we go there connected. We're connected um, by being a part of the cooperative program. We're connected because we have the same confession faith, um, the Baptist faith and message, and because we serve the same group of churches. 
Um, so we're there doing that. Um, and, and I want to, I think it's good for us to know each other. I think we can collaborate and celebrate wins and um, successes of, of what's going on. And it's just good for us to, to have good relationships and to, to know one another. Keith, thanks for joining us. It's good to have you on the microphone tonight, just not, not just listening in the background uh, like normal, man. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for that. That was actually kind of fun because usually I'm not in the room for any of the interviews. Yes, that's right. You're, that's probably the first interview you've been in on. Yes, and sometimes you send them to me. Yes, and you can hear them. Occasionally, I have heard them along with everyone else. Yes. Occasionally. But most of the time, I get to hear a recording of them. But I got to be here in the room for that. That was really good. Yep, so I know your favorite interview ever on SBC this week. So, Absolutely. All right. all right, before we move on, we want to once again thank our sponsor, Design to Lead, by authors Eric Geiger and Kevin Peck. For all the information and some free resources about that book, visit designtolead.com. And that's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week, this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. Well, we're going to go back to 1993. And this is actually something that uh, was really a major thing in world history at the time. Um, but it had an impact on Baptists. It's something important to us, and it it's really interesting considering some other things that are going on today. Um, so this was in 1993 when, um, not long after the fall of the Soviet Union, and Russian President Boris Yeltsin, Yeltsin. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, you like the vodka? Yes, but that's not what this is about. Okay. Um, his advisors released on September 6th of 1993 uh, that he was planning a second veto of some laws that Russian Parliament that the Russian Parliament had passed um, limiting religious freedom. So he was going to veto the laws that limited religious freedom. That's correct. He um, what happened was um, they he they had had a first draft of a law in August and he offered some amendments. He vetoed it with some amendments. They wrote a new law um, and they passed it two weeks later thinking that they were sensitive to his objections and he still was planning, uh, planning to veto it. What was the big concern? Um, these restrictions, these laws that they were putting in place were trying to bolster the strength of the Russian Orthodox church and they were trying to go after the efforts of folks from the Western world evangelizing in Russia. Now, this is very interesting to us now. And now you tie now. it in today yes. because... Yeah. So, um, it, this said, they had announced it on September 6th, so this it was being talked about in 1993 around this time. Uh, he was going to take the full two weeks he had, so he was going to take until September 20th before he acted on it. Um, but it was it was kind of offering some renewed hope to missionaries who were in Russia uh, because these restrictions were going to really be difficult for them. So there was a pretty lengthy article in Baptist Press. Um, it did say that evangelical leaders in Russia had written him protesting the revised law. They were worried about police involvement in religion. Uh, they felt like that the new draft of parliament was against the Russian constitution. And there were several denominations represented in the letter, but it did include uh, Baptists. So this was something that was very important to us uh, and to our mission efforts there. So I saw this and I was just really struck by it because here we are 23 years later. 
Um, this was a time of encouragement. But 23 years later, we're facing some things that are quite the opposite uh, as some laws in Russia are doing exactly that and probably even more. I, I haven't looked at this, the law from 1993, but possibly even more. Um, so this is not a new conversation that, uh, that we're having. It's a conversation that has been happening for a long time in some ways uh, when you look at Russia as a country sort of standing on its own in some ways it all started this week in SBC history Uh, but it is something that we're going to have to continue watching Uh, as we know the Lord is uh, sovereign over the world and over uh, bringing his message and his gospel forth and regardless of the things that are done he will get his message out Um, but we see that these conversations are happening uh, over and over and over again. And we can, you know, express thankfulness for the work that was done in some ways because of the stand that Boris Yeltsin took at that time. All right. Well, thanks for that, Amy. Uh, You mentioned earlier that this was going to be your favorite interview of the week. This will be Bruce Ashford's favorite SBC this week. Yes. More than likely. Yeah. Yeah, this this week in SBC history. Yes. Yes. Because Bruce spent a couple years in Russia, about five years later after this. So yeah, he was a missionary over in Russia for a couple years. Yeah, so, I mean, in some ways, had this law gone into effect, he wouldn't have even been able to be there. Wow. Possibly. I mean, I don't know, but I would I would assume. Anyway, very, very interesting. All right, well, that's going to bring us to our resource of the week. Amy, your resource of the week is? Mine is one that I am just beginning to... Um, to check out myself and it came from I'm going to give a shout out to Dan Darling it came from a tweet I saw today uh, from Dan Darling that mentioned a newsletter by a Baptist historian Thomas Kidd who is at um, I believe he's at Baylor University and Dan Darling basically said if you don't subscribe to this newsletter you really need to um and so what I did, uh, what I did is I turned around, found it, and subscribed right away. Uh, so Thomas Kidd writes on uh, productivity, work-life balance, uh, what's going on with his work in uh, Baptist history, which, as you know, I really enjoy. Um, and Dan mentioned that the latest one is on J.I. Packer and writing for your audience and that it's really good. So I have just signed on for that it's free um so i've sent uh, i've put a link in there that takes you straight to uh, the newsletter subscription service you can just jump right in and join uh, his newsletter community is is how he says it and learn a little bit from him and i just did it while you were talking about it fantastic so he got two today there you go let's see how many more he gets if Come dan on, darling says it's worth subscribing to i will subscribe to it also speaking of subscriptions Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to our data point email every week. This week's email uh, went out uh, just last night about uh, CP giving. Since we're talking about that here, uh, you know, getting toward the end of the fiscal year, we talked about the CP giving. The 2016 annual is out now. So I have a whole new book of stats and numbers and all kind of fun stuff to put in the data point every week, uh, talking about statistical uh, analysis that is relevant to the SBC. My resource of the week is the new Global Hunger Sunday promotional resources. They came out this week from Baptist Global Response. You can check that out at their website or the link that we put in uh, sbcthisweek.com. 
But uh, BGR has a new uh, resource out for Global Hunger Sunday. That is going to be October the 9th. So you got about a month left if you want to participate in that at your church. I really encourage you to do that. To help Global Hunger Relief, it is an annual push for them. We had Jill Wagner on the podcast last year. We'll put a link to that as well, uh, that interview explaining what goes on with Global Hunger and how your church can help out. But uh, a big Sunday. We have a lot of these Sundays throughout the year, and uh, this is just another one that really helps out in a specific way that your church can help fight global hunger, and that's coming up on October the 9th. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Amy, it's always fun to get to hang out with the Whitfields. I've enjoyed it. It's uh, It's been good to to record face-to-face tonight. It's been great. We like having you here, and uh, keep coming back to Wake Forest. Yep, so hopefully I'll be back soon. I don't know when that will be, though. So Okay. Yeah, usually once or twice a year, so... That's all right. That's all right. So, but you'll be in Nashville next month, I believe. So yes, in October. We'll get to record in person again. So, uh, a lot of back and forth from Nashville to Raleigh, Durham. So, thanks again for joining us this week, folks. We'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>